Today's episode is brought to you by Peregrine Book Company, located at 219 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. This beautiful boutique bookstore is in need of your business and support like all small businesses through this challenging time. Please head over to peregrinebookcompany.com to browse and purchase books online. While you're on their website, sign up for their weekly newsletter so you can get updates on their reopening plans. If the book says on our shelves now, you can actually pick it up the next business day or you can call 928-445-9000 and a bookseller will help you. Remember, peregrinebookcompany.com or 928-445-9000. Welcome to The Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today we have such a lovely and thoughtful guest and her name is Gia Hughes. Gia has been producing shows at the legendary Hotel Cafe for the better part of a decade and also spends time writing and editing for Life and Time magazine. When she's not producing live performances, she will most likely be found drinking coffee or reading. If you'd like to learn more about Gia, please check our show notes for links to her social media accounts. Gia, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited you're here. And I'm super excited because you and I, one, don't ever talk like this, really. You save my butt all the time when I leave things at the Hotel Cafe and you mail them to me in Arizona because you're a good person. (laughs) Um, And we talk a lot via email for shows and things like that. But we don't get to talk about you and your glorious journey. So I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's go. Uh, no, come on. Come on. I was gonna say, I feel like people think I'm the Wizard of Oz a lot because I I email everyone all the time. But but totally, you know, <laughs> stuff like this is a treat for sure. Nice. Well, let's start at the beginning. Beginning, as I do with everybody. Where were you born? Who is your family? Do you have siblings? Like, start me at the get zero to five years old. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I grew up in a small town called Acton, which is about. Um, 45 minutes, 50 minutes north of Hollywood out in the high desert. Very small town, 8,000 people or less. Wow. Yeah. I grew up on a lot of property, had a horse, had chickens, ducks, all kinds of animals. Oh, that's basically. a good way to grow up. Yeah. Basically like a rural farm existence. And then, um, ended up moving to or splitting time between there and Santa Clarita uh, as a kid and teenager. And, um, I have three siblings and three step siblings and, uh, an enormous step family who I love. And, uh, yeah, definitely a big crazy family. Yours, ours, all of the mix. Yes. And everyone's, you know, a lot of, um, my cousins are married with babies now, and and so it's just a very big, yeah. growing, blended family. <laughs> it's it's awesome. You guys are growing the population of Acton. <laughs> it's well, they're all they're all over the place. So my my dad still lives in Acton. My brother still lives in Acton, but um, everyone else is kind of all over the place. Anywhere from you know Los Angeles, like my sister and I live in LA. Um, 
cousins in Ventura, Arizona. I have a lot of family in, in the Phoenix area. Oh, and so maybe we'll get a visit out of you one of these days. Yeah, definitely. We're only, we're only about an hour and a half north of that. So if, nice. you're, if you're driving out to visit, it's an easy, pretty drive. Definitely, yeah. I, it's been a while since I've been out there, but I, I do have a, a lot of family out there. And I love people that. in Virginia Beach and all over like, the literally place. everywhere. Yeah. So <laughs> let's start when you were a little munchkin out on the farm. We're just going to call it the farm, which I love. Sure. Um, <laughs> were you a creative kid initially, or were you a pretty, were you a quiet kid, an outgoing kid? What kind of munchkin were you in those years? Definitely quiet. Yeah. A quiet, shy kid who read a lot. Uh, not much has changed, I will say. <laughs> I love that. And with your siblings, do you have full-blooded siblings as well as half? Yes, I have uh, a sister and two brothers who are all my sibling siblings. Wow, so and there's then, four of you just in your, yes. your immediate, like, full-blooded family. Yes, and uh, I'm the oldest of them. Yeah. yeah. And were you... Um, were you the kind of big sister that kept everybody in line and told them what to do? Or were you kind of like an independent? Did you have a sibling you got along with more? My sister and I are very close um, to this day. But yeah, growing up, it's funny. It's funny looking back on it because I definitely felt like I was like the older responsible one. But everyone kind of always did their own thing too. You know, like we spent so much time outside. I mean, it's such a different time. It's not that long ago. I'm not yeah. like, you know, you're not but, 85. Yes, we get it. Right. You know, <laughs> back, back in my day, but we, we literally spent all of our time outside kind of doing our own thing. Yeah. And, um, so the, the, you know, I feel the older sibling dynamic more with my sister, who's the youngest of the bunch where I often tell her to this day, learn from me because I went through it already. Right. Like you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to do this I already know what to do and what not to do. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're a funny bunch. Yeah. So how was your school years? When did you, cause you said you were an avid reader, kind of quiet. When, when you first started reading and getting drawn into books and I know you write as well. So yes. what for you in those like kind of middle school years in a small town, I'm assuming a small class size. Was there arts programs? Was Were you just a, kind of a bookworm because that was a safe place and you loved the adventure and getting outside of yourself? Were you somebody that just didn't want to be bothered with a lot of people? Or were you like, because I was the kind of kid that I was always good in groups, but I never had a click, right? Like I was, I was better one-on-one. I always had a best friend or the person, one singular, come over and hang out. But I wasn't like the kid that was going to be at the mall with 20 kids all the time. It just wasn't my thing. I was very similar. I always had um, like a small core group of friends, whether like elementary school or high school or college. Like I always kept it very small and I've always had like one or two very close friends. And, um, you know, I grew up, my mom would take me to bookstores like Barnes and Noble and I would pick out like the newest Nancy Drew book or whatever it was, (laughs) you know, of the collection. And, um, in in school or in element or junior high school, I should say, uh, it was a small school. At that point, I had been going to school with everyone since kindergarten, you know. And um, when I went to high school, I ended up changing districts and moving uh, or going to school in Santa Clarita. So it was a much larger school system and, and class size. Was that and, because of a split between your parents or was that just you moved or? 
My parents did split up when I was younger. And at that point, I just wanted to kind of experience something outside of my comfort zone and, and go to a school with people I didn't grow up with. You oh, know? that's kind of a <laughs> yeah. bold move for a young person. I mean, usually we hear the opposite. Like, I didn't want to <laughs> leave my friends. I didn't want to leave everything I knew. And you're like, yeah, well, let's just try something else. <laughs> yeah, it, it is funny looking back on it because... Yeah, I left a lot of my close friends and the life I knew. And I just, I really desperately wanted something bigger. And it's funny because it was, it's still like moving from rural to suburban, which is bigger. But um, yeah, I really leaned into books a lot in high school too, because I I had uh, core friends. You know, I was lucky enough to make some friends after moving and not knowing anyone. Yeah. But, I always just like the escape of it, you know, and yeah. it's like a little source of peace. And I feel like these days I'm, you know, leaning back into it more and it's, uh, you're in a different world and it's nice. It's calming. And it's, it's, uh, I really enjoy it. I've, yeah. I've read a ton this year, more than I have since college, probably. Yeah. What, um, what, in your life, what am I trying to say? I don't even know. Where did did music find you at this point? Were you somebody that was an avid music listener in these younger years? And we're going to get into what you do now in your career and how that's all evolved. But I mean, in those younger years, as somebody with the escape, were you simultaneously finding music? Were you that kid? Or were you just kind of like, did that fall into your lap later? How did that work? I was always obsessed with music. Yeah. And um, I was that kid in high school. What was the thing that set you off? What was the song or the band or the album that kind of made you go, I'm obsessed with music? You know what I mean? Because, I mean, unless your parents played it in the house a lot or or did you have someone in your life that was like, by the way, hear this? You know, I I feel like I didn't grow up on music in that way. Or I, I would listen to like, my aunt used to work at Warner Brothers. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll source her as an inspiration. We would grow up, like she would come up, we would, she would pick us up, she would drive us uh, wherever we were going and she'd have on Tom Petty or Jackson Brown. Good or, choice. <laughs> yes, like any of those types of classics. Yeah. And um, I have very fond memories of putting on Tom Petty and thinking he was saying running down a drain <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just became like a joke with us yeah. after like over time um but but anything like that like I I grew up with but um you know we didn't have like we would just listen to generic stuff growing up and then when I got to like junior high and high school I started getting more into like like punk, pop punk, indie, like stuff like that. And yeah. in high school, I was the kid wearing like band shirts and chucks. And 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 you were that indie high kid. School. You were just that yeah. kid that was like a little too cool to do the thing that everybody else is doing, but not so off the beaten path that everybody's like, she's a weirdo. <laughs> I, I was like the I had like ha- like I dyed my hair half black, and I just all I cared about was that. And I would spend all my time like on my shitty computer at home, like, like just looking for every bootleg song ever that you could possibly find. Like LimeWire was my best friend. Yeah. And, and I would like buy everything. I'd go to all the record stores in town look for the new records and whatever I couldn't find or any like European, like live versions of songs. I would just like look on the internet for 
and download. And I had so many viruses on that computer, <laughs> but, but I had every song so I could it. ever want. Yeah. <laughs> were you already thinking at that time? I mean, I'm assuming we're kind of in going, getting into high school, you know, era. Mm-hmm. Were you already thinking like, I'm going to do something in music or were you thinking, I mean, where was your brain at as a young like teenage person that was indie and kind of just a little outside the center and finding all this rad music and going down your rabbit hole of awesome. Yeah. So, you know, at the time I was just obsessed with music and going to shows and, uh, did you have a favorite artist at that time or a handful of favorites that you were like, if they're playing, I'm going. Um, well, at the time there was such a vibrant, um, like punk and punk adjacent scene yeah. in Southern California and Orange County and Antelope Valley. And so I would end up going to like any, any band that would fall into that category or Did adjacent fall into that category. category for you. I hated Scott and it was, okay. it was a point of contention with my friends in high school <laughs> and, and still kind of is. I, uh, I, uh, could not, I just couldn't. It was too happy. You're like, I draw the line. And they're like, yeah. what's wrong with you? You're yeah. like, draw the line here. You go ahead and cross that river. I'll see you on the other side. That's that's too far. That's <laughs> yeah. too far for me. Um, but I would, you know, drive out to like some church in Inland Valley that was hosting a touring punk band or drive out to Chain Reaction in Anaheim and see whoever was playing. And, you know, in, in high school and stuff, I, I'm like, who did I even like? I loved um, Brand New and Thrice and um, a lot of like dark, like looking back, like stuff I would never listen to now, like a lot of hardcore stuff. What do you think was the draw? Was it just big and loud and outside of yourself? That was probably part of it, but I think it tapped into some untapped emotions of mine, you know, as a, a teenager who was, learning how to be in this world, you know, and how to experience emotions and friendship and, you know, heartache and longing and, and turmoil and all those, like, you know, all those things you feel as a 15, 16 year old. Um, and then later in high school, I ended up kind of steering back into the classics a bit and, uh, and then going more, indie and then you know in the early like pitchfork days i'd be endlessly scrolling on their their website seeing like who they were writing about back when they you could just scroll through their website totally and um but i never like all i wanted was to go to shows that's all i wanted to do and i never actually thought about working in music really really and um yeah because i my strong suit was always in like uh, writing in English. And so I, I went to college for English literature. And where did you go to college? Uh, I went to two years at a community college in, in Santa Clarita. And then I did uh, the rest in San Francisco State up north. No way. I went there too. Really? Woo-hoo! Only for two years. And then I transferred to Northridge and finished there because I started working in LA in music. So it was like, yeah, well, you know. That's so funny. Yeah. That's but I, so lo- funny. I loved it there. It was It was a great time. I, it was a, a very challenging time, but I loved I loved the city, yeah. especially then that would have been 2008 through 2010. And it was just, it was a very special time for me and a very transformative time. Yeah. And I, I uh, really evolved as a person around then. And I just, I loved the city. Yeah. And, I think it's a great place to kind of figure yourself out a little bit. 
Yeah. You know? I mean, you're, you're there on your own. You're taking the train or the bus everywhere. Lots of time I, to think. <laughs> yeah. I really leaned into exploring. Uh, I did a lot of like solo adventures there where I just wanted to go and see things. And totally. I just went and I either hopped on the train or I took my car and I would just drive to the most beautiful places you've ever seen. Because everything's within driving distance up there. And like all the most beautiful places are within driving distance. I used to tell people the thing that I loved when I lived there. I I loved that you could take yourself on a date anytime. And that the city itself was always a really good destination. Like you could get lost on whatever bus line and just go, let's find out where it goes. And you're going to end up somewhere awesome. And I never really felt unsafe. You know, even if you got into kind of maybe seedier parts of the city. It was like two blocks later, you were in a good part again. So it was like, hey, I can't get, I mean, what's going to happen? <laughs> right. Know? I'm sure plenty could happen. But at that time I was like, <laughs> hey, what's going to happen? But it was a It'll really good fine. way to date yourself and get to know yourself and and explore and, and have the confidence of your independence, you know, yeah. which is really cool. I really felt like I, I came into my independence a lot in that city. And I, I think treating it as a, a dating yourself thing is a yeah. perfect way to put it. Cause that's basically what my last year there, that's basically what I did where I just, I just would like, I wanted to go see Stinson beach. So I just went and I drove, I, you know, you go to the Redwoods super easily. There's so many beautiful beaches South of the city, yeah. um, within the city, like any, I mean, at the time there's all these like coffee shops, like third wave coffee shops popping up and stuff. And so I just went one by one, like checked them all off because I wanted to see them all. And totally. Um, or shows like they had so many amazing shows at the time and a really great um, local uh, music scene. And it was just, yeah, cool it was venues. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, were you thinking I'm going to be a writer? Was that your artistic? I mean, I, I'm guessing you never thought, I'm speaking for you, but I'm guessing you never thought like, oh, I'm going to go apply to work at some corporate blah, blah, blah. Never. I yeah. never thought, I mean, I, yeah, I never thought I'd do anything corporate. I never thought I would like produce shows. I, which is, it's funny in hindsight, cause it's, it's like, clearly I was obsessed with it and obsessed with live music specifically. Right. And, um, but I, I figured I would end up because I was end up um, uh, English was my strong suit. I I you know graduated the top of my class. I always I always knew I would end up studying it, and I always knew I would end up doing something in writing, whether it was journalism, whether it was teaching. I mean, probably not teaching, but something in that realm of of English. Yeah. And um, did you ever have the like I'm going to write a novel? Was that ever brewing or I want to write a series of books or write um, TV? I don't know. Did you have a, did you have a vision toward writing at that time? Yeah, I, I knew it would be writing in some capacity. And, you know, I, I, I mean, to this day, I'm more, I steer more towards journalism and like editorial type of writing. And, um, you know, I think every writer dabbles with, you know, thinking in, in a, maybe I'll write a book or something. Yeah. And I'm sure at some point I will try my best. Uh, creative writing is, 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 um, it's funny. The process is very challenging for me. It's like, I procrastinate. I, <laughs> I go through it kicking and screaming, but when it's done, I, I, I feel very accomplished and like I did something and, uh, I have to be in the right state. <laughs> But, um, so when I had graduated, I, I 
had a friend from high school that I had followed on Facebook and he had posted something looking for a writer for his um, local suburban like arts uh, magazine. And uh, um, he was looking for a writer. And so I messaged him and I was like, I have to write for you. And I was just, I just knew I did. And I knew like I was moving back to the suburbs, like leaving San Francisco. I was going to say, that. so that was, that was, you, that was just happening. Was there any thought of, I'm going to stay in the Bay Area? Or were you just like, I can't afford the Bay Area? I only say that because I know how expensive it is. Um, or, or were you like, I'm ready to go home and try my hand closer to LA or Southern California or? I felt like when I graduated, I knew that was my time there. And it just made more sense for me to move home at that time, you know? Totally. And um, it, I just felt like I was a little more estranged up there than I wanted to be. And I just felt like LA, I've always felt like LA is my place. Yeah. I love it. I love it here. Yeah. And so I knew I was moving back to the suburbs. I knew that that would be a challenging transition because you're moving from a city with such rich culture. That's so accessible. Oh my gosh. It's so, and it's so accessible and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's a beautiful city. So it's just on a physical front, you're like, I'm inspired. Exactly. And I, I knew moving back would be really challenging because it's the city of Starbucks, you know, and um, (laughs) like they had just opened a Whole Foods around then, which was a big deal. Like I, I have been vegan for eight years. And before that I was vegetarian and, you know, moving from San Francisco where you could eat literally anywhere to a suburban town where you can't eat nowhere. <laughs> like Whole Foods was a big deal to me then. Right. And, um, but anyway, so I knew, I knew I'd be moving back and knew I still needed to seek out like arts and culture. And so I told him that I would write for him and, um, long story short, it ended up turning into one of the most transformative experiences of my whole life. And uh, we ended up building this platform called Proxart, which was centered around a thesis of arts in your like proximity, basically. Um, what art is inspired by where you live. And so we ended up... I love that. It ended up becoming a thing where we were we were working a lot with the local like arts, arts uh, commission and consulting for the city in a lot of ways and also just building this platform where we were interviewing artists whether they were you know like like painters or uh graphic designers or musicians and because i'm obsessed with music i ended up um interviewing tons and tons and tons of musicians and was like photographing shows and um uh i became the editor-in-chief of that but that that community around Proxar, that group of people to this day are my family. Like they're my creative. Does Proxar still exist? Does it live on beyond you? No, it doesn't. No. So at some point we all kind of, we were all in our very early twenties and and just making something very inspiring together. And um, we all grew from that and, you know, started working other jobs. Some people moved uh, to Texas and yeah. it just kind of naturally, like we all went our separate ways yeah. in that, in that way as one does. But um, I look back on that time and think, I mean, like some people look back on college and their, their time in like a, a sorority or fraternity and how they feel a certain bond with 
those people that were involved in that. Like that's kind of how I view this particular group of people and how they, they just inspired me. And we worked together as friends building something really cool. And I know I'll never have that again. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of that particular section of time that like Mm -hmm. 20 to 25 ish, 26 ish is that, um, I think there's this, I think it's a feeling and a sensibility that we could all use a little reclaiming of, which is this idea that I'm just going to give it a shot. <laughs> like We're just going to do it. it the, the questions come later. The how comes later. And and you're right. Things in that era tend to fizzle sometimes, not always. Um, but, you know, when you grow and evolve and you gather all those traits and all of those lessons and all of those things that you acquire that sometimes you then grow beyond the initial plan. But those formative, you know, 20s years, those earlies, it's kind of an exciting time because really the world is your oyster. And I think we forget that it's always your oyster, but in that time where you live in it, like, well, I'm just going to tell him I want to write for him and see what happens. And I, I think it's a really... um beautifully shaping time. And it's cool that you still have those friendships from that, that moment in your life. So when did, when did it start to, as it was starting to maybe just dissolve a little bit or just shift and change, where were you going from there? Taking now you're editor in chief of this cool thing. You're living in the arts, you're being inspired, you're with musicians. I mean, it sounds like the ideal job, really. It was, it was, Great, but it was more uh, a passion project than a job, I will say. And so I was also uh, working at a local newspaper doing the journalism thing as their uh, special sections editor. And, you know, we were putting out like, I was putting out anything from like a business journal to a health and wellness guide to an alternative weekly paper, which was boycotted uh, two or three times, which I am particularly proud of in a suburban town. Why was you know, it boycotted? Uh, uh, one time it was because we were, we, we, <laughs> looking back on it, like, it's so stupid. Yeah. Uh, we wrote about a graffiti artist and this particular group of people were, I don't even remember who they were, but they were very, very offended that we were promoting, um, graffiti and like ruining our community. I'm like, no, we're talking about like, Art. Like, art. like he's an artist. He's not yeah. just like tagging. This isn't the things. guy doing like KMK on a like a stand. It was <laughs> absurd. But we we had written a few things that were about like the fringes of suburban society, which are not that like cutting edge, really. Right. And uh, people just couldn't deal with it. But in in my mind, I'm like, then just don't read it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you don't have to read it. No, it's, it's a free publication. No, literally, yeah. no one is forcing you. Yeah. But well, uh, there's a whole live and let live aspect to life that people could embrace more. <laughs> I mean, truly. But but um, so I had worked there for a couple years, and uh, they essentially wanted me to stop doing my work with Proxart and gave me an ultimatum to either quit or stay. And how did you uh, handle that? (laughs) Well, my boss at the time who was, uh, I just, I just had a hard time with him too, because he was just, um, spineless, I will say. (laughs) And he essentially said I was making a mistake 
by pursuing this other personal project and I would, you know, ruin my career in journalism or whatever if I continued to do it. And he gave me this ultimatum. Pause there because I love hearing ultimatum stories, especially in your 20s and somethings and when people are like, you're making a mistake. I love hearing you say that because nothing gets me more riled up when it's like, (laughs) don't tell me what the fuck to do. Like, this is my life, not your life. Clearly, I'm a benefit to you, but like, I don't know. I I can't get on board with people telling other people like, this is your life mistake when you're like, well, and I'm not allowed to have personal projects outside of my place of employment. I'm not allowed to have a personal identity outside of my place of employment. I don't think so. And so I I distinctly remember this. (laughs) It was a big moment in my early 20s where he was, you know, essentially saying I had to quit or... Um, I'd be making a mistake. And I, I remember sitting in his office and being like, well, then I quit. And I remember his face just being like, like he did not see me. He, he did didn't not see, see that, that outcome. Coming. Yeah, he didn't see that outcome. No, he thought I would I would just be like, okay. Well, it's because you're, you're so right. damn sweet. He was probably like, I can steamroll her because you're such a level, sweet kind. You're like, sure, let's make it work. Every time I've ever interacted with you, it's always like, yeah, we can make this work. And he was I like, like to keep things easy because yeah. nothing nothing needs to be as hard as a lot of people make it out to be. But in that situation, like, you know, I felt you're asking me to give up something I felt very passionate and strongly about that gave me a spark of life, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and also had nothing to do with my work. And... um I just, I just don't subscribe to that type of mentality at all. I never have, and never will. I'm sure of it. But, but, and also to put that on somebody to ask them to give up something they feel so strongly about in their personal lives that they've personally built is ridiculous. To work for some small town newspaper, like, forget you. I quit. (laughs) I quit. You go, girl. You go. Yeah, well, you're like, asking, he's like, I you're think you should. Me. Yeah, I think you should this, and you're like, well, fine, I quit then. <laughs> I would have paid to see his face. He was asking me to give up myself, yeah. and I just absolutely could not. And I, to this day, have no regrets. And, um, but I, I feel like that shift shifted me into working in music more closely. And so after that, I started, you know, reaching out more to to music editorial companies and. Uh, working with places like Filter Magazine, working on, you know, a lot of marketing and and writing for them and um, working with uh, doing some, like producing some uh, uh, local events and and whatnot. And I got connected with this place called Origami Vinyl in Echo Park that was a vibrant, like, beacon of community. And... um, they would do a lot of events and Neil, the owner there, like brought me in to do some stuff for them for um, FYFS doing like artist signing stuff and whatnot. Yeah. And it was just very special. But through them, I, I basically became connected with uh, uh, Tara, who used to work at Hotel Cafe before me. And yeah. she ended up uh, recommending me for the job uh, as production manager at Hotel Cafe over eight years ago at this point. Yeah. And, so uh, when that came up, it's a little outside of the box of what you had initially been kind of going for in publications, writing, editorial. And now somebody says to you, hey, I think you might be really good at working at this venue. Were you an, in any way, shape or form a little like 
I think I might have been like super stoked, but then there's that moment of like, can I do this job? Is it, am I wired for this job? Am I designed for this job? Or were you just all in, jump in head first? Well, I definitely said yes. But yeah. <laughs> before, but before then, I was, I was, I had been steering towards working more in live events. It just naturally progressed in that way. Beautiful. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I started working with things like companies doing writing, and then. I would end up doing um, some live events for them. And then through Proxart, we ended up booking a bunch of shows at South By for a few years in a row at some oh, local events. So you did have your feet in that in those waters a little bit more yeah. than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So you were like, yeah. this and is so, awesome. Were, had you been a fan of Hotel Cafe at this point? Had you been there? Had you been in that scene? Was this all new? I had not been in the scene. I had been there maybe two or three times beforehand for yeah. some shows. Um but I, I was, you know, working with Tara, kind of shadowing her and seeing, you know, what she does because she was working in a lot of live events, obviously, at that time. And um, when the door opened, I, I basically just jumped because, I mean, a job like that doesn't open up often. No, because people like yourself stay for a long time because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as, like there, it's... it's um, it's not just a job, it's a community. And that is so rare and so special. Right. You know, and when I started over eight years ago, I had no idea like how rich and vibrant that community was too. All right, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful public school system here in Prescott, Arizona. The Prescott Unified School District has been serving children for over 150 years. And while the community and district has grown and changed considerably since 1868, the commitment to children, families, and the community remains the same to this day. PUSD welcomes all students, including those who live outside the district boundaries, because at Prescott Unified School District, every child, every day, Everywhere matters. Proceeds from your membership and our advertisers with Raven Productions goes directly to supporting the arts programs in the PUSD. So allow me to ask you, because one of the things when I talk about Hotel Cafe, obviously I tell people all the time it's one of my favorite venues. I feel like it's home. We, a ton of us grew up there. Like that, you know, it, it, it gives you that feeling of community. But along with that, it's not a but, but and, um, I believe that you never see a bad act there, which I've always attributed to the ownership to you. I did not know Tara in those days. And even if I was playing there, I probably was, Dave was dealing with her or somebody else. Um, so I, you know, I've always been either in touch with you or Marco, who's one of the owners. And the thing that I've always championed about this venue is even when people are coming in from out of town, I'm like, listen, just go stop by. Even if it's not your favorite genre of music, you're going to appreciate whoever is on that stage because they only bring in awesome <laughs> all the time, you know, and so many varying degrees of awesome. I've seen people on a Tuesday night at seven o'clock when there's 10 people in there. And then you've been there at Saturday at 11 o'clock at night and John Mayer's on the stage or Chris Martin from Coldplay or um, Dave Chappelle or you, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. When you joined into this group, was that something that you were, that was discussed among the leadership ownership? Was it, was it about the quality of band or was it, how were you guided in your new role? 
Um, so I was brought in to organize and produce all these shows. And, you know, when, when you speak of it being good, no matter when you come, we're very hands-on with the booking process. I mean, Marco has fostered that for years and years where he listens to everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, we, you know, we work with a lot of labels and so they're trying to showcase their up and coming talent. We book a lot of local people who we know are great and help, you know, them develop their sound and their career. And it's just such a cool space like that. And I, I always describe it as like cheers. Like you can come any night of the week, you know, you're going to see people, you know, or you're going to meet people you want to know. And the music's, yeah, it's always good. And you can come and not know who's playing and you'll discover someone new. And especially in the last five years, we have the second stage too. So if you don't like someone in the main stage, you can go to second stage and you have your choice of basically 10 artists per day. And you'll surely one of them will speak to you and you'll discover someone new. Yeah. You know, have you ever said no to anyone? Surely. Yeah. There, Has somebody there, submitted there, and been like, this is my band? And you're like, how do you do that? Do you go, um, try again next year? Like, what do you, <laughs> what do you say? How do you uh, gently let somebody down you think is talentless? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say anyone's talentless, but, um, you know, we do listen to everything. Marco listens to everything. He's very adamant about that. And if someone's not the right fit, then you know, they're just not the right fit. You guys have, that's such an interesting, because you have such an eclectic grouping. I mean, I've seen Soul Nights there, because it's very easy for people to think of this venue as the legendary singer-songwriter venue, which is kind of how it came up in a sense, you know? Right. Um, But like I said, you've had everything from Soul Nights to rock and roll and and spoken word, and you've had comedians, and you have, you know, singer-songwriters, but then you also have, like, folk music and blue, I mean... so we book everything. You book yeah. everything, yeah. And, yeah, and that's really what, in my opinion, has made it legendary. Along some of the other venues I've played, where you're like, oh, you've seen this person or that person or X Y Z there. Um, but when you do have to just say, is that the is that the kind of go to? Like, we just don't feel like you're a good fit for the venue. We would never say you're not a good fit. Yeah. but you know, it, it's it's hard to turn people down. Yeah, definitely. I ask because I I mean, like, yeah. literally, I think. God, I put my hands to the ceiling. No one's ever just been like, you can't play here. But I, you know, I, there's going to be somebody somewhere that you're like, mm. Yeah. I mean, it also depends. Like sometimes it just doesn't work with the bill that night or it doesn't work like this time around because of their touring schedule or something. Um, we generally try to leave the door open because sometimes people, you know, their sound evolves and totally they might change projects or something. Like I, I would never say no forever to somebody. Um but if 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 it's just truly not like up to our our standards, I guess I would say we would you know we would politely let them down. Yeah, well done. You're so you're so politically beautifully <laughs> gentle with people's spirits. <laughs> I love that. I mean, you have to be. You know, you don't yeah. want to. You don't want to destroy anyone's crush a dream. You don't want to be in yeah. charge of crushing dreams. I can't imagine. No. Why. <laughs> No, I, I think it's beautiful that people want to be creative and make music and, and I don't want to, you know, hurt anyone's feelings. Do so. you have, I have to ask you, I've actually been dying to ask you this probably for years. Do you have <laughs> a pinnacle one or two shows that you were like, holy shit, I was there the night 
I mean, obviously, because you could be there any night that you want to see what you book. But what <laughs> what's the uh, like that show blew my mind, either yeah. expected or unexpected. Do you there, have one I mean, of those? There's there's a bunch, but at the top of my mind, I would say um, my first year there on my birthday, Damien Rice played. Oh, he's great. At the time, it was his first show in in years, and and it was just so special. Laura Marling opened, and it was just like like he's singing Volcano, and everyone's singing along, and it was just like. I was just like, oh, this place is All the where I want to be forever and ever. Yeah. yeah. And um, Chris Martin, when he played, was, I mean, from start to finish, that whole day was just one of my favorite days ever. Yeah. He he played solo. He rolled up on a Vespa to sound check. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just the nicest person. He said hello to everyone. I love him. And he was just so kind and obviously talented, but... At the time, I don't think he had done many solo shows ever. And um, you could just feel how special it was. And, and like we, you know, me and um, a couple of the people on staff are watching him soundtrack singing The Scientist oh to my just God. us in the room. And just for listeners, I can't imagine that there's anybody listening that does not know who Chris Martin is. But just in case, he is the lead singer of Coldplay. So, you know, massive band. <laughs> it's like No big deal. No big deal. Um, any of the Dave Chappelle shows have been, every single one have been incredible and mind blowing because he's a profound genius and is a truly brilliant human. How did that phone call go? Or, or emails like string? How does that work? You get an email in your inbox. It's not probably Dave Chappelle or is it, is it Dave Chappelle going like, Hey, you know, I've heard about your venue and I'd literally like to come throw some jokes around. How does that happen? You know, I'm not sure how it first came to be because they hit up Marco, but I, I, you know, we generally deal with his management and they, if they want to do a show, they hit us up and we say yes, <laughs> basically. Of course, yes, yeah. of course. Um, but he's just watching him do his thing is, is awe-inspiring. Like I, I genuinely believe he's genius. He, I, he I agree. comes up with all this stuff on the spot that's like so philosophical and hilarious at the same time and it's like he's not making it up he doesn't have time to practice it it's all like organic improv yeah Yeah, it's it's genius so Um, on those nights is it all hands on deck like are you are your bartenders like fighting for the shift that night are your is ownership and everybody going dave Chappelle's coming through we're all going to be here how does that work we we um I mean, we staff it out to where we're all covered, but each bartender has their own night. And so whoever's staffed that night is staffed that night, you know? <laughs> I um, can only imagine what that's like. They're like, yes, I got Dave Chappelle night. Those nights are tough because we're, we're on lockdown, you know? Like we have to be like no guest list type of vibes, you right. know? Um, I do want to talk about Hosier though. Okay. Like for, for a show that like sticks out in my mind, I remember his showcase there he played like eight o'clock early full band. And, um, he was someone I had not heard of at all at the time. Cause he was like newly signed. He had just put out, uh, taking the church yeah. and it had just gone viral and, um, watching him perform live there was one of the moments where I was like, this is going to be somebody. Really? And yes. yeah. 
as just, you know, we see a lot of artists and we see a lot of artists that are really special and we know we're going to go somewhere. But that was one in my mind where I was like, you just saw this is like one of the best performances I've ever seen. And he was so different and so like captivating and the songs were so different, but you knew like somehow like it would, it would just connect curious, to the Was masses. there a full house for that? Was he a label showcase or was it just kind of like, no, nah, I need to get out there and start working my songs and we just released this. So I got to be out and about. It was a full house for sure. Uh, but it was a showcase. Yeah. It was a showcase. So there's a lot of industry in the house and whatnot. And, um, yeah. And obviously any of the John Mayer shows there are like every single one is just an incredible. Oh my God. He like tweets an hour ahead of time. Like, Hey, I'm rolling through hotel cafe. If you want to show up. They're just fun. They're just good fun. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, Have you had a record terrible night where you're just like, oh my gosh, like, can this night ever end, please? (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to Uh, say names if you don't want to. (laughs) I would never. Uh, (laughs) You know, there was one night where... (laughs) Looking back on it, I wouldn't say it was terrible, but I, I distinctly remember this one band. They rolled up in a school bus and they were like so rock and roll and everything that was, you know, cliche rock and roll they were doing. I don't know, like it felt like they had to or something. But during the show, they had, uh, lit the the symbols on fire <laughs> <laughs> I think and I love I remember, this band already. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, and this was like the end of the night. It was a long night, and they were, I think, like the last band. And it was just one of those days where we're just like, oh my god, like, like this is a long one. And they lit the drum set on fire. And I remember looking from the bar, being like, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. This go, this is bad. This is yeah, bad. this is very, very bad. And like hitting the the symbols and stuff. I'm like, like these these people are going to burn this place Yeah, down. Like, no, no. And I, I was like, oh my God, like, like about to like run to the stage. And I see Joel, uh, our sound engineer yeah. grabbing like towels and he's already running to the stage to put out the, the symbols. And we were just like, like shocked. Like, oh my God, you guys like, you can't do yeah. This. And I was like talking to the guy after the show where he was like, he like his girlfriend found out that he was cheating on her and he was asking me for advice. Like it was just a lot. (laughs) Like, and a lot of working in live music that people don't know is you're, you have to be really good with people and you have to be essentially a psychologist. (laughs) Not that I'm a psychologist, but you have to deal with people's psychology a lot and navigating so many personalities and so many emotions and talking people down so often. I can only imagine. And that's actually why I said, like, even with your last boss, it's so funny because you are always, in my experience, and anytime I've seen you interact with anybody, you're always very level. You're always very like, we can fix this. This is not an issue. Like you said, why make it hard? Which is why I said, not that I would ever think anyone would steamroll you, but I can see how someone would be like, oh, she's easygoing. I'll just put the pressure on and she'll just cave. And where you are so brilliant is that it's in those moments that it's like, Dude, she's throwing down, but with a smile on her face and making it all look simple. Like, like, like there's no ruffled feathers, and yet she's still giving you the finger and telling you no. But you don't feel bad about it. I don't know. It's subtle. Yeah. I will say, I went, one night that sticks out 
fun life for me now was a night that was really hard. And it was, it was one of those nights where everyone on staff again was like, Oh my God, I cannot wait for this night to be over. Like it was slow, but hard. And we had a midnight band and it was like Tuesday or something. And, um, we were just like, I can't believe like there's another act. And, um, uh, that act ended up being Raylan Baxter and we were like running late too. Like it was, it was just a long night. And, but this, this artist was so incredible that I, I remember looking at, um, I think it was Jake, one of our bartenders who was on time, look at him and just being like, who is this guy? Like this artist is incredible. And we were all just blown away and it turned the whole night around at, you know, 1230 at night. Like, Which just it was shows just so you the cool. power of good music or the power of music in general, really. You know, if, yeah. if you have that connection or you feel that thing, all of a sudden you're like, Meh, it turns into, hey, hey, you know. Exactly. <laughs> it made, it made like a bad night really memorable for all the right reasons, you know. And I love that. Yeah. Can you share with me, what would be your advice to, um, again, because I'm thinking about the people listening. If you have a young band newly formed or there and they want to get out and start playing songs and doing what is the best way to approach a venue like from the person who receives all those emails do you have do you have examples of like please don't do this versus this is a good way to approach you know wanting to get a spot in a place that maybe you can play maybe you can't play I don't know what's what's a good way to represent yourself in that kind of bidding process I'm a, I'm a firm believer that your music should uh, speak for itself. You know, uh, we get a lot of submissions or people send just like an Instagram link or something. And it's very strange to me because I actually want to hear your music if we're going to book you. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's more and more common to just send social links instead of uh, your music. So I would say if you're booking a show, make sure you're linking to your current music. Um, you know, and just be as clear as humanly possible. When are you looking to book? You know, how long do you want to play? What does your music sound like? How many people do you think you can bring? Just keep it easy. You know, if the easier you are, the easier it is to book, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a valid point because I think we're all from the other end of it. We're all drilled with put in the socials, let them see how many followers you have. Let me, you know what I mean? All that stuff that I've always loathed because it's not about the music. Yeah. So it's nice to hear you say that. I I will say you should still send it, but not just that. Yeah. Like have, have a, here's a song that represents us well. Listen to that. And then if you'd like to follow up on your information of here's where you can find us in all the places. Right. Yeah. How would an agent pitch you? You know, yeah. if you're pitching yourself, think about it like that. You know, you want to put your best foot forward and you want people to actually hear what you sound like as a musician. Yeah. I love that. It's, it seems like it would be so simple, but you'd be shocked at how many people don't know those. Well, you're, you're shaking your head. You're like, no, trust me. You don't know how many people don't know that. <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> I love it. When you are rounding out a, a night and you're looking at your lineup, do you have a formula for that? Like if you know you book one person and you're like, okay, it's this sound, do you try to create a list of similarity or do you think, oh, I'll just throw in this person up here and it's two hours later, so we'll put a rock band down here? 
Uh, no, we try to keep it fairly cohesive or have it evolve throughout the night. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're coming and it's acoustic at seven, maybe we'll start, you know, full band eight, keep it full band nine, but have it be a similar sound or genre throughout the night. Cause ideally, you know, you'd want people to stick around the whole night. And if you're switching it from, you know, genre to genre each hour, you're going to lose people because people aren't interested in, you know, they might not be in the mood for something totally out of left field. Totally. You know what I mean? Um, so we, we try to be pretty thoughtful with that. Yeah. What do you, at this point, do you still, I'm taking a small left turn here, but do you still write? Are you still writing? I, I do from time to time. I mostly edit these days. So okay. I get, I get into the, the weeds with grammar and fun things like that. Oh, don't tell me that. I'm going to start sending you everything. I'm like, can you proofread this please? No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. I have a lot of friends that actually do that, which I, which is fine. I enjoy it. But, uh, I, uh, with life and time, uh, uh, food and culture magazine that I've worked with for eight years or so, a a long time. Um, I, I edit, uh, all the fun stuff for them, but I do write still from time to time. That's awesome. Have you ever considered, um, because you're a writer doing music reviews, do you do that? So I used to, I, when I, when I was doing more, uh, music writing, I would, I would do some reviews, mostly interviews, um, or editorial pieces on it. I, I kind of subscribe to the belief that unless I like something, I don't really want to write about it. I think it's, it's pointless to put out negativity into the world and to spend time on I love um, you for that. You're like, let me well, just let me just respond to the things that I do love and put that out there. Yeah, if I hate an art, an, an album, I don't want to spend time writing about how much I hate the album. I think that's not beneficial to anybody. Right. And uh, so I, I never really enjoyed the review process because you know inevitably you would be assigned something you didn't like or something that didn't really click with you, and you'd have to like. Find your way through it and just yeah yes <laughs> yeah I, I I didn't like that so I I would I would like to interview people and actually like talk with them and get to know them and and share their art that way and and share stuff I liked in that way I love it now if you would be willing to tell us where venues are at right now with COVID and everything you're working on now and you're still booking and you're still, but it's all very different. How is that looking for live venues and how can people support live venues? This is very important to me that we get to this part. Yes. Um, Live venues are in a really bad place right now. Um, With COVID, obviously pretty much every music venue in America, if not worldwide is closed um, and will be closed indefinitely. You know, we were some of the first businesses to have to close and we'll be probably the last to reopen because we're, you know, gathering places where drinks are consumed and people are indoors. And it's it's a really tough time. And, and um, you know, there's some stats going around that, that, you know, 90% of venues think they'll close without any proper government support. And we've yet to receive anything uh, that's like, substantial enough to float uh we as in music venues independent yeah. venues yeah. in america uh, they just need support you know and, and 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 venues have been sitting on or waiting for any bill to pass um to help save the stages yeah. that are there you know and it's a, a really scary time and you know it's a lot of these independent venues that aren't owned by any corporate uh 
companies and they're, they've built these really special community spaces and don't know if they'll ever be able to reopen again. It's really sad and depressing. And, yeah, um, terrifying. Yeah. It's so many people. It's not just music. It's so many memories. I mean, because it's the memories of the people watching. Like, you can recall these wonderful nights, and that's part of why I asked. It's like, here was that moment where my total mood was changed by somebody great. And so many thousands upon thousands of people have had these experiences in venues across the country and around the world. Where can people be helping? How does, where can we do that? So most venues, independent venues will have, surely will have their own GoFundMe set up right now. Um, Any venue you'd want to support, I would just recommend looking that up. Outside of that, NEVA, um, the National Independent Venue Association, has a fund that they've set up that they will be um, distributing to independent venues as well. Um, I believe, let me look up their website. It's uh, neva.org. NEVA, uh, N-I-V-A-S-S-O-C.org. And um, they will... um, distribute that. So they, they just did um, a thing called SOS Fest, which we were lucky enough to be involved in, um, where they booked tons of artists and tons of different venues across the straight, the States and um, helped raise uh, a ton of money for this, for this cause, which is, you know, just really awesome. And they have a lot of merch for sale that you could buy and, and all funds, you know, help support this, um, this cause as well. Awesome. So N-I-V-A-S-S-O-C dot org. Right? Yeah. It's okay. like Neva Association, but they okay. combine the, a, the yeah. Double yeah. time. They're hitting yeah. two birds with one stone on that A. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or I guess National Independent Venue Association. Yeah. There we go. The, the acronym is funny on there, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. And with you guys, you guys are also doing streaming as well, which allows people to buy tickets, which also go to you guys as well, right? Yeah, so we, we've been trying to book some live streams here and there, just keep the productions very small and everything's COVID compliant. And um, it helps us, you know, support artists, but also support our the venue so we can hopefully stay open on the other side of this. As of now, we you know we've been closed since mid-March and we'll be closed into 2021. Oh surely, gosh, surely. That's so, yeah, so it's, you know, any any little bit, helps any ticket sold helps um it helps it'll help us you know be able to reopen so awesome well we will certainly put in links can people find as far as directly through the hotelcafe.com can they see your streaming schedule and where they the shows they may want to purchase and and be a part of yeah so our full live stream uh schedule is just at hotelcafe.com um we'll have all these flyers posted for all the upcoming shows up there Okay. Wonderful. Now I just have a couple, you know, questions I ask everybody if you're up for it. Sure. Okay. With this journey that you've taken and the shifts and pivots of where you've lived and the places you started working and the places you left working and then now landing in this beautiful position you're in for the last eight years or so, what would you tell your younger self? Uh, good question. Um, That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that it like cues the sirens in the background. It's like she's thinking and woo. It's There's great. always sirens over here. I'm right off Melrose. Yeah, you're living in the city, girl. I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, what would I tell myself? I would, I would tell myself that it's not what you imagined, but it's better. And that you'll meet some really amazing people throughout this journey. You know, I, I, uh, I've been lucky enough to have worked in the same, worked and lived in the same place for many years now. And I've been able to connect with people from all over the world who have become really amazing friends of mine. And that's, I mean, that's so special to me. Um, I would also tell myself that, um, you know, it goes on like, like um, a few years ago, I, I had opened this book from, my great aunt of Robert Frost poems. And inside she had cut out an interview with him where the, the journalist asked him, you know, what's, what's some good advice that you would give to somebody when times are hard, when, when, you know, life is challenging, when um, politics don't look the way you want it to, you know, and Robert Frost's uh, advice was so simple and it really, really struck me um he just said it goes on about life so simple but so true and it's essentially like this this shall pass you know and anytime there's something hard or a struggle or something that you're you're working towards like inevitably you'll get there or inevitably if something is difficult it'll pass it will you know you just have to just keep on keeping on and and um it'll be better it'll get better on the other side of it, you know? I love that because I think that's so true. I, you know, we often, it's like, it's temporary. It sucks, but it's temporary. It may not feel like it, but it is. It will pass. It will. And, uh, yeah, I just got to weather the storm a little bit sometimes. But but, uh, it gets better. Yes, that's true. And it's important to keep that kind of mantra in your mind, I think, especially at this particular crossroads of time. Yes. Um, Yes, indeed. For you, what has been the definition of success and has that changed for you over your ever evolving life? You know what I mean? Like from writing into performances, into production, into how, how do you define success now versus maybe when you were like bright eyed, bushy tail at like 16, 17, 18 being like, I'm going to conquer the world. I don't know if that's what you said, but right. you know what I mean? We all, we all have this one idea and then we grow up and we live our lives and sometimes it evolves. How has that looked for you? I, I think when I was younger, like most people, I would think success was or could be equated with money and having uh, worked for wealth. But, you know, I now find success to be that your the way you live your life is your wealth. And I, you know, find myself to be successful in that I'm able to you know, do a job that I love in an, in a field that I love and, you know, have friends and family who I love. And I think you're successful if you can surround yourself with people that love you in return. I think it's so much simpler than, you know, the money you make. So. Yeah. The relationships you hold. Yeah. That's I think your that's success. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. And and sound advice for people listening. Just we often get caught up in all the stuff. And sometimes it's not about the stuff. It's just about 
the way you feel and the way people make you feel and the people you choose to keep in that inner circle to have those feelings with. That's great advice. I agree. And and in in this day and age, you know, I I think one of the the silver linings has been highlighting what's actually important to people. Um, I could not agree with you more. I say that often. I'm like, times they be a sucking. But... (laughs) But the silver linings, I think, are bountiful. I really do. I think so many people are rediscovering things that they'd forgotten they enjoy. I think they're rediscovering relationships they've put on a back burner. I think they're rediscovering the way they spend their time and how to be the most productive with that time now that it seemingly feels like you have endless time, you know? Um, I could not agree with you more. And you're able to focus on what's actually important to you and what actually matters and brings you happiness and fulfillment, you know, and before there was a lot of noise and everyone's caught up in the hustle and bustle of everything. And, you know, I know I was guilty of not indulging in those simple things as much as I should be like reading, like spending some time outside, like spending, you know, time on the phone or on zoom or, or on a walk or whatever with family and friends, like really focusing on what's important to you. And and I feel like this time I've been able to really see what matters and it's just people. It's those relationships that mean something to you. And, and, uh, um, that that's, yeah, that's my success. I think that's beautiful. I have one more for you. What is, what is the future look at? What's next for, for you? What are the dreams and goals now, especially in the climate that we're in, Obviously, I I would imagine some of that is, you know, hoping to save the hotel cafe and all venues. But where do you, when you're looking ahead out of this very crazy, bizarre period of time, what do you kind of focus on? What do you see? Uh, Right now, I'm I'm just trying to get through this. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, just get through the day, man. Just get through the day. To be honest, you know, um, just working really hard to make sure we can stay open and that we have a, a vibrant, wonderful community to come back to, which I'm confident we will. I, I do feel like we've been very, um, we've been staying very positive about all of this. And we're very grateful that we are one of the lucky venues to have such an amazing community to, to come together to support us. And, you know, we hope we can support people in return. Um, that's my short term. Yeah. <laughs> my short term goal, you know. Yeah. Um, I I just want to make sure we have we have uh, this community to come back to. Um, and which, they which they are hoping, I, as part of that community. I can say everybody's also hoping the same thing to have the home to come back to. You know, the community came from that brick and mortar, so um, it'll happen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Just got to stay positive, you know, and, and we work hard to make Amen, it, make it girl. happen. So. Amen. <laughs> well, in the meantime, um, I'm going to be coming out there. So I'm hoping, will I get to see you? As, yeah. Or will you be there? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Awesome. Um, well, that's fun. Am I allowed to yeah. hug you? I don't know. I'll do an air hug. We'll figure it yeah. out. Um, air hug, high five. Yeah. If anybody, I don't know that you want anybody <laughs> stalking or following you, but if people are like, gee, is amazing. And I love the hotel cafe and I want to know more. Is there a social link or a place that they should follow or find you? Instagram's the best. Okay. Uh, I'm just at Gia Hughes on there. Nice okay. and simple. And then we'll put the link up for the hotel cafe as well. So that awesome. everybody can find you and find the venue and, and throw some change in that, in that bucket and help keep you guys afloat. 
Thank you, you know, for being even my though, guest. Oh, sorry, go on. Of course, I was gonna say, even though they're live streams, it's still live music, and it's it's uh, something fun to watch. Totally, to. and I think it's just a matter of looking at it from the perspective of in this crazy time, at least this live music can come to my home or my phone or my laptop, and it's actually a really a really cool way to see live music. I don't think it's the same, but it it's at least a really good placeholder. It's a good alternative for yeah. now. Yeah, thank God for technology right now because. Seriously. I can't even imagine. No phones, no social media, no videos, no like none of this. I wouldn't be able to talk to you <laughs> in another state like we are right now, you know. So yes. like you said, silver linings is the theme. I think if we focus on that, we're gonna be in much better shape than if we focus on the dark side. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Gia Hughes, you are a ray of light and sunshine. You are so lovely, always. And I'm so fortunate that I've been able to work with you and get to know you over the years. But it's so nice to actually hear about your life in a way that I haven't been able to share with you. So thank you for being my guest. Thank you for having me on and taking it. me through a, a, a journey of my own life. It's been fun to, <laughs> to reflect on myself. You're like, oh yeah, I am awesome. <laughs> Look at that life. <laughs> You're an angel. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and you know, we'll let you know when it's going to be airing so you can hear how awesome Please. you are. And I'll see you soon. I'll see you very soon. And for In those of you life. listening, yeah, I don't know when this is actually going to air, if it'll be before or after, but if it's before November 11th, tune into Hotel Cafe. I'm performing. <laughs> Just so you know. Hubba, buy hubba. tickets. Yeah, buy, buy tickets. <laughs> Spend lots of money on tickets. Okay. Bye, Miss Thing. Thank you for Thank being my you. guest. I adore you. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you soon. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, everybody, today's episode is brought to you by The Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time, and let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us? Or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.